and, and go upstairs and be like, I'm tired. Of course you're tired, right? Of course you're tired, but you still get up and do the work and you feel better about yourself. I see people who take handouts or take the easy, quote unquote, easy way, and they're not really proud of who they are. They're not proud of their accomplishments. I'm really proud of who I am and where I've battled and where I've lost. I've been knocked down too many times in my life to count, and I always stood back up eventually. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr., and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today's guest is Abigail G. Manning. She is the founder of Create Awareness, Change Lives. She speaks internationally on professional development and personal empowerment. She is an impactful storyteller, weaving together true life stories with powerful key takeaways. She has learned to thrive, not in spite of, but because of the obstacles she has faced. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about things like changing our language, about asking for help, limiting beliefs and how they hold you back, and how to thrive when faced with trauma and adversity. Enjoy the conversation. Abigail, thank you for being with us today. You know, I don't even remember. We, we met through Kim Campbell, and I don't remember the, the name of the event where we met. Do you remember the name? I love the organization. Well, I absolutely adore Kim Campbell. She's a dear friend of mine and highly respect the work she does and what she's done in her life and career. And she introduced us at the SODIF, Special Operator Transition Foundation That's event. Right. She sits on the board of it. I think Tommy and Austin are wonderful, wonderful leaders of that organization. And so we met there. We met at a fundraiser for them with a live band that was fantastic. Yes, that was a lot of fun down in Colorado Springs. So that that was uh, that was great. And for anybody that that hasn't listened to Kim Campbell's podcast here on, on Forging Metal, go out and listen to it. It's a great, great conversation. I have had friends that have, especially some with children that say, uh, I, I want my kids to listen to her podcast because she talks about, you know, persevering and, and getting into the Air Force Academy and, and how hard that was and how she just didn't quit. So that's a great conversation. So I was, I'm so thrilled that she took it upon herself to introduce us, and here we are. So here we are in the forge, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of get to know Abigail today. So, as many of my listeners know, and if they don't, they're gonna they're gonna find out right now. I'm really big on this idea of origin stories. Where how did we get to where we are, and and even to the point of did you expect to be where you're at right now? So let's start with that. Abigail, what is it that that draws you to what you do today? And did you expect to be doing what you do now? Well, if anybody's watching the video, they can see this huge smile on my face. And I didn't want to start laughing while you were talking. No, absolutely not. Did I expect to be where I am right now? This is not anything on my plan. This was not on my radar. This was not a life path. If you had told me seven years ago, I would be doing what I'm doing now. I, I would have chuckled and shook my head. And so the reason for that is five years ago, I never told anybody outside of maybe one or two people the life experiences I've been through. My origin story, as you said, my background. And when my kids both left off for the military, my son sat here in my office in a chair in that corner and told me how what an awful empty nester I would be. 
that <laughs> it would be tragic. <laughs> I'm a mission-driven person. I'm a protector heart. I have a servant style in everything I do with friends. And he told me that I needed to end my first company that I had started 25 years prior and was right in that wonderful lane of business comes to me. I don't go find business and take all the things that I taught him and his sister and the way that I overcame my life experiences and traumas and teach it as a curriculum. So for fun, I took a year off of full-time working. I had stockpiled some money away to be able to do it. I took a year off and drew artwork and built my curriculum. And fast forward, I'm here now. And I thought it was going to be a fluke. I thought it was going to be a one-time speech to give back to the people who gave to me. And so, no, I did not expect to be here. And I'm also, I was thinking this morning during my run that how amazing it is the people I get to call friends. We started this talk off about Kim Casey Campbell. I mean, if they listen to your podcast here, they read her book, they read her upcoming book amazing, wonderful person, right? And though I'm surrounded by it constantly, I'm constantly amazed by the caliber of people out in this world who are making it a better world. And it's an honor to to be among them and doing my best to help people be the best version of themselves. I can, I can echo that any stronger. The people that I've met through this podcast and my business is, has been amazing. And I can tell by the smile on your face that you love what you do. Is that, is that fair to say? I do. I do. It's hard. It is hard. There's a lot of different topics I talk about, but Purple Threads, the core of my curriculum is about limiting self-beliefs and where do they come from and trauma and how do we overcome it? And first I was told it would never work in the military. It would never work for veteran nonprofit organizations or in the corporate world. But I explain it in such a different way with no shame, blame, or judgment that people say, oh, this can make me a better person. This can be my fuel. This can, and, and that's exactly what I want to do. And so it, I do love what I do. I feel very blessed to be able to take what I learned the hard way and help people learn it, hopefully an easier way to be the best version of themselves. So I do, it's very rewarding, but sometimes it's, it's a long time before you hear some feedback. It might be a year, it might be six months, it might be four years before someone comes back, but I can't tell you, Ron, how many times people said to me, you saved my life. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I often tell people, you know, my students and, and clients, I, and I always feel like this sometimes offends people, but I say to them very confidently, you, I can almost guarantee you don't know what you're capable of yet. So when you talk about self-limiting beliefs, tell us more about that. What is that? How does that get in our way? And how do we work with that? Absolutely. So the let me explain what Purple Threads is. So if people know my background, my origin story is I came from, I grew up in the North Shore of Chicago. Let's start with that. I was one of those people from the outside perspective, you would say is an overachiever. I was an athlete. I was student council president. I won the big school awards. But what people didn't know what was happening inside the home. So I grew up with childhood abuse by both of my parents, um, later ended up going through domestic violence, and I landed in the pit of PTS. And that's where a lot of my curriculum came from is how did I get out? How did I become not only a survivor, but a thriver? My goal is that we just don't get through the world, but we rejoice and we enjoy and we make the world a better place. And so purple threads, the reason for the color of purple is that purple is the color of courage and it takes a lot of courage to look within. And if you think of someone who's knitting a sweater, my mother was a knitter. And what I realized over time was that all those purple threads were lies. 
all those things, you're never good enough. You're not liked. You're not wanted here. You're never going to make it. Nobody really wants to be around you. Look how stupid and dumb and ugly you are. Blah, blah, blah. So if you know anything about gaslighting and grooming, yes, you believe them. So you believe you're purple. You really believe that you are. And you look down and you're wearing this entire sweater of purple and you think the entire world can see it too. So you play big or you play small or you feel like an imposter or you don't speak up or no matter what accolades you have, what job you rise up to, it's never good enough. You always have that seed of doubt in your mind, right? Or you're, you don't go for things because you know you're stupid, you're dumb, whatever that limiting thought is. And those come early, early on in life. And so purple threads, when you identify them and you see them and you know the, where they come from, you can pull them out. You can rewire them. You neurologically rewire, restart our brain and our base level of knowing who we are. So purple threads are limiting, I think PT, limiting personal thoughts connected to past traumas that become physiologically tied to what we think, say, and do. Think is cognitive science, say is communication, and do is behavioral sciences. So my double major at Indiana University is that. And so I weave all of it together to build this curriculum where people can recognize that's a lie. So Ron, if I told you that one of mine was I was stupid, right? I was told how often physically, emotionally, you know, and beaten and stuff like how stupid I was. Well, it turns out I was dyslexic. So if you know that about me and I'm starting to, you can see my stress going up and I can say, oh, I'm so stupid. I bombed that test. Like for your students, you can say, you're not stupid. We're going to stop right there. We're going to back it up. We're going to reframe that. And I have a creative, brilliant mind that's dyslexic and thinks in the mad, unimaginable levels of ways. And, and I can soak up information. I can put random pieces together. You're brilliant. You're brilliant. Let's just take a breath. And then we teach life skills, self-regulate. And now let's try it again. The two key things is it builds unity. Then I start believing in myself. I have the power to remove those. So it's my responsibility. So the first step of of purple threads is self-awareness, knowing where that comes from. And that's a routine, a curriculum of purple threads. The second step is self-ownership. So you have power and control over what you think. You have power and control over what you do. Not someone else, you. Doesn't matter what's happened to you in your past. You choose how to respond to it. You choose what path you take forward. And then the last step of it is self-commitment because I use commitment more than self-care. If I do self-care, Ron, I won't do it. It falls off my calendar, right? But self-commitment, I'm a mission-driven person. If I have to have, if I sign up for a race, and I have to run a certain number of miles, I'll do it, especially if I'm signed up with somebody else. So I try to make my self-care an actual self-commitment on my calendar. I literally will mark it out in my calendar where I have to go do things that I love to do. So those are kind of the three steps to it, but it creates unity, like it creates a trust. So if I know you care about me, you will say, you are not stupid. That is a purple thread. Or you could just say PT to me. And then I can build my own confidence and then I can look at you. We hold each other accountable. I trust you. Or conversely, that's how we learn who are manipulators, who learns our purple threads and then uses them like marionette strings and power and control to manipulate us, to make us feel less than. Gosh, there's so much 
cheer that I can relate to. And let, let me go back real quick for the listeners. You mentioned PTS. We're talking about post-traumatic stress. So I just want to be clear about that. And, you know, these are the stories we tell ourselves, right? And, and I have maybe a similar background where I had a, just a very demanding father and nothing was ever good enough. And it took me a long time as an adult to kind of unravel this idea that, you know, everything in my life, number one, I was very negative. Number two, I, I never gave myself any, you know, basically a pat on the back. And I, it, it took me a while to understand this was the way I was raised. I never got a pat on the back. I was never told proud of you. Nothing was ever good enough. And so I had internalized that. And that was the story I told myself for many, many years until I really kind of, it took a lot of work, but I dug into that and started to understand I was very negative and I needed to change that. And I also needed to give myself some grace. And so I think everybody out there, I, I don't think you and I, Abigail, are alone. I think there's a lot of people out there that that struggle with this kind of a thing. And I also like to say, and I, I, I feel like I, I stole this from somebody, I don't remember who it was, but I really love it. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility, right? Our parents do the best they can, and sometimes they make a mistake. I like to think my dad was doing the best he could with what he had, and I still love my father and all that. But as an adult, as you mentioned, it's it's on me to decide to play the victim and say, oh, there's nothing I can do. I was just raised poorly and, and uh, you know, carry that around, or we can take you know, kind of take the helm of our ship and steer it so much. I can relate to it. And I, I so much agree with that. How, let me ask you this, you know, if you were, if you are that listener that's listening and say, oh, this, this sounds really difficult, Abigail. I have all this, this baggage perhaps that, that I'm carrying around from my childhood. How do I, how do I start to change the way I live my life? How do I get out of, it's like a big hole in, in my mind. And I, I see a lot of people just give up. And, and what would be your advice to kind of to start, just start out of that hole? Yeah, start out of the hole. Great question. I think kind of circling back to what you talked about. I love that. I wrote it down. I hope I got it right. It's not your fault. It's your responsibility. I think a lot of that ties back to forgiveness. So while a lot of times people will minimize it. So when I work with people, they're like, well, I wasn't sexually abused. He only yelled at me all the time and called me names. You know, I wasn't physically abused. She did da, 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 da. And I think that we kind of minimize it and to recognize that it was hard, to recognize that you've been through adversity, to recognize you've been through trauma. So one of the first things I do in the Purple Threads curriculum is I have people, we, it's kind of, I, I'm a competitive person. I love being an athlete and kind of competitive, but not like me against you. Like together we can be stronger. But like when I competed in triathlons, I definitely wanted to pass as many people as I could, especially if they were in my age group, right? <laughs> but but it, I didn't want to wish them ill will. I I actually would encourage people like, you're looking great. You're looking strong. Come on guys, let's go. Like, let's all take this hill, right? And that was my way of being competitive, helping everybody rise to the top of their game. And I think we can't do that when we're feeling really negative and that other people have held us down and other people have hurt us. And, and I think understanding that everyone, everyone has purple threads. And it doesn't matter what the other person's traumas were, stresses, life experience, right? It doesn't give them an excuse to treat other people badly. As the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. And when we can wrap mm. our brains around that and we can start to let that go, it's a hard one. That's a really hard one. I had a really hard time with that for a long time because I am a mom. And I thought, how did my mom ever do those things to me? Relentlessly to this day, 
but I cut her out for several years ago. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to remove people who are still hurting you. One of the things that might help the people out of this step is forgiveness. I did a talk at the United States Air Force Academy, their national symposium this last February. It was on human dignity and respect. And I was delighted and honored to be a speaker there. And it's on YouTube. People can see it. And one of the biggest things, it was the first time I ever told the story about my dad, who was Air Force and Army Air Corps. And it was interesting to me how many people told me that was one of the most beautiful examples of forgiveness. And honestly, Ron, that wasn't the point of my speech. That wasn't, that wasn't the point of the talk. But many, many people, like you said, were not alone, struggle with people who have done harm to them and how do you forgive them? But when we realize that everybody has purple threads and some people react well and some people do not, and some people have skills to get over it and some do not, right? Then it's our responsibility not to take it on what they're trying to dump on us. And forgiveness is the first step. Yeah. I I like her people, her people. That's great. And I think you're, you're kind of getting at this point. How hard is that? I mean, how hard is that somebody that's done you wrong? And I come from a long line in my family of we, we hold, you know, a vengeance against somebody forever and ever. And so how hard is it to just say, you know what? I forgive you to me that that's a tough thing, right? Yeah, it's super hard. It's super, super hard. And I had to do it many times. It's not just one and done. Now, granted, I grew up with significant abuse. And so, and and it, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize it and get help when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 12, right? So the longer you believe these things, the longer it's carried and been your origin story, the harder I think it is to undo it. However, you absolutely can. And I think most people are afraid. Like, I don't want to open that door. I know I felt that way. I don't want to relive those things. The brain does an amazing way of hiding a lot of those things into filed, locked file drawers. And so you don't have to be super afraid about it. But I was afraid. So if you're feeling afraid, that's totally normal. And then you can take a step back as needed and then take more steps forward. So fortitude is just believing in yourself and moving forward relentlessly, but it's also stopping and taking a break. It's also tabling something, going to counseling and then having something fun afterwards so that you can look forward to it, that you just don't get stuck in rumination over this harm. And another key to me was I have always been a person of love, respect, and kindness. And that's what made me very different in my family of origin. I was always about love, respect, and kindness And I'm just hardwired that way. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe I grew up seeing the opposite. And so I know when I was eight, I made a vow in my mirror that it would end with me. But it's also been who I am. And I choose, it's the hardest person for me to have learned to love, but I choose to love myself. And when you really love yourself, you realize you don't want other people contaminating you. You don't want other people weaving in purple threads, lies that are going to hold you down. You realize that you are worthy of good people being around you. You're worthy of healthy thoughts running through your head. You're going to have enough self-doubt in life. Whenever you change a job, whenever you transition from, for your audience, maybe in college into the working world, you're now a new CEO, or I hear the other end of it. I'm too old. Why would people want to listen to me anymore? I work with CEOs. I work with students and I hear purple threads, but that run the gambit, but they're all the same they're all the same. They're all where I wish I had more in my life. I wish I believed in me more. 
and not this unworthiness statement. I, I'm smiling. Anybody that's watching my YouTube video and watching me smile as, as you, you talk, you know, I just finished, I'm a little late to the party, but I just finished watching a Ted Lasso. And in the series, which I would recommend it, it's good. There's a performance psychologist, sports psychologist, that's a part of the, one of the characters. And she says, the truth will set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just love that. I heard you say, you know, so a lot of people will not dig into that because they, they don't want what they're going to find. They're not going to like, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. Uh, and so they just avoid it. And and I think that is a, a good thing for all of us, including myself to take away from, from what you just said is, is we got to do that. We got to go in there and do that hard work because that's the only way we're going to get through to the other side, which I think is, is so important. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And it, it can become really fun when you see it and when other people see it and how much happier and better your life is. And then for me, it was my responsibility to create the world and the type of family I wanted when I was, became a parent, right? So I have a daughter and a son and that was my mission. That was my focus. What is the right thing to do? It takes a lot of emotional effort. It takes a lot of extra bandwidth you don't just come home from work. I worked full-time, but I, I ran my company out of my home and, and go upstairs and be like, I'm tired. Of course you're tired, right? Of course you're tired, but you still get up and do the work and you feel better about yourself. I see people who take handouts or take the easy, quote unquote, easy way, and they're not really proud of who they are. They're not proud of their accomplishments. I am really proud of who I am and where I've battled and where I've lost. I've been knocked down too many times in my life to count. And I always stood back up eventually, and it's okay. There's no shame, blame, or judgment. And when you start thinking, if you've been, if people know the term gaslighting and grooming, grooming is gaslighting done to kids, you feel like you're crazy. You feel like this was really your fault. You know, Ron, you might've said, well, I'm just a negative person and that's just who I am, right? And, and that's a choice to be able to say, no, I'm not crazy. We respond according to our life experiences. And that's why I don't call it PTSD. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's an absolutely normal response to abnormal life situations. It's totally normal. And when we do that, when we take the pressure off, you're, why are you like that? What's wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? Rather than judging people, what I call finger pointing language or shame, blame, and judgment, if we look at people with curiosity, I wonder why that person is that way. I wonder why that person shows up grumpy every day. What's happening in their world? And we meet them with the expectation of the behavior we want them to have. Then it can shift their world. So Eleanor Roosevelt had a saying about people live up to your expectations of them. I'm, I'm butchering her, her, thing, her quote, but you get the point. Like People will rise or fall to your expectation of who they are. People will rise or fall to your healthy boundary lines of how you allow people to treat you, how you allow people to talk to you. And if you say, I believe in you. So when someone is not doing a good behavior, let's say they're counterproductive or self-sabotage, I would say something like, I believe in your ability to figure this out. I believe in your ability to get over this obstacle. Because I do believe in people's ability. And then when they start hearing that, they can start believing it. It rewires their thinking process. Boy, if I can add a, a quick story, uh, there's so much that I like. Uh, you know, I often coach my students on, I'll do some coaching for like a big interview that's coming up. And I would say my track record is pretty good. 
a lot of my students, you know, even companies like Apple, you know, they come back and say, oh my gosh, Ron, I, I got the job. And I, I think to myself, you know, of course, I, I just, I say, you did the hard work. I, I just did a little small part, but I also look, I think about it and I say, what did I do that was so magical? And I don't think there's anything magical. All the stuff that I, I shared with them, you can find this with a quick Google search. It's, it's common knowledge, right? To how to, how to really to do an interview well. But here's the thing. The last thing I usually say to all of these people that these students that come in is say, I believe in you, you got this. And I believe that is what puts them over the edge. It's just somebody that they respect saying, I believe in you. And, and I, I can't echo that enough of what you're saying. How many times do we say that to people? And I, I also think we don't grasp how powerful that is just to be able to say that. And again, I don't think it, it's, I think it has to come from the right person and said in the right way. It can't be trivial and it should be coming from somebody we respect, but my, I guess my message to the listeners is to say, try to say that more often. Tell somebody you believe in them and see what that might do to them. I'm really big on this idea of empowering people to, to be their best selves. And they've just been waiting for somebody to say that to them. So thank you for saying that. And, and I could not be more in agreement with what you yeah. just said. And I'm going to jump in real fast. I think it is magical. I know it's magical. What you give is magical. It is powerful especially to someone like me who heard the exact opposite the whole time growing up. So I believe in you is powerful. And also when someone's really going down the wrong path. So you're talking about someone on the adverse spiral it starts with stress and depression and addiction. If they're starting to drink too much or whatever, I, then I will say, I believe in your ability. Like you have the ability to make the decision to drink or not to drink. I believe in your ability to make good decisions, even if they're not making good decisions right there in their moment. It kind of helps them say and remember how they have the empowerment. And in your inner, inner circle, I would say change. And you're right. It's all about trust. You can't just throw it around to other people. Like, you don't even know me, lady. How do you believe in yeah. me? Right. But if you have someone in your inner circle, we talked about having close relationships, even if it's one person that you know you can call, is with those people, change the belief to know. I know in you. My son is the one who pointed that out to me. He called me up and he's got this wonderful sarcastic humor. And he said, you know, mom, he never believed in me. And I said, you're right. Not once, never. Because never, ever, ever. And I started laughing and I said, okay, where is this going? And he said, mom, truly, you always knew in me. You knew it. You knew with every fiber that he was severely dyslexic. He's like, you knew I was brilliant. You knew I was going to read. Everyone around me and told me I was never going to read as a sixth grade level. I was never going to make a life for myself. And you knew in me. And, and then, like you and I were talking, we did the hard work. I changed school district policy about dyslexic kids. I got him out of that school into another school, had to petition. It took a long time to get him in there. But the best reading specialist in the district was at that school. My son was going to go to that school right? And so you find a path to get from here to there and you know in a couple people and it literally will change their lives. We, I had a previous guest, Juliet Hahn was dys dyslexic and boy, I need to get you two in touch because both of you have overcome and I, you know, neither one of us will, will call it a disability. And we, we both, Juliet and I said, Hey, that could be a superpower, yeah. you know, just like ADHD. It can be a superpower too. If 
you look at it the right way. So I love that you guys have said, Hey, wait a minute, just because I have this doesn't mean I can't be successful too. And I think that's a great message for anybody out there that again, I feel like society too quickly labels things, as you said, as a disorder, or there's something wrong with you. No, it just makes you unique. All right. There's plenty of very successful people with dyslexia and ADHD or, or any number of things. So again, it goes back to that idea. I can just throw my hands up and say, I can't do anything about it. Right. I say that's a cop out. And a lot of people don't like it when I say that. When people say, that's just how I am. That's who I am. I can't change that. I go, that's a cop out. <laughs> You just don't want to do the hard work. Now I'm being a little, you know, maybe a little harsh there. It's, I, I think they need to be unlocked, you know, kind of understand how they can do that hard work But for everybody that's listening. You too can change. Let's let's, I really am fascinated by this idea of, you know, I do use the word PTSD. Um, and, and I like what you're saying though, but, but I'm really fascinated by the idea of some, some people that have experienced trauma, uh, it, it really paralyzes them for a lifetime, a, a lot of times. And then there's the, and, and I've been told it's not the flip side, but post-traumatic growth, right? There are some people that go through trauma and it actually makes them stronger. So if you're not familiar with that term, that's kind of what it means. Now, what I've been told by the experts is you can have both. You can have PTSD and PTG. You can go through the phase of, of, of both of those. And so that can, that can happen. But I guess my question to you, Abigail, is do you have a sense of what made you come out of this better? I, when I look at you, I go, okay, this is PTG. You have come out of your trauma as a better person because of it, maybe because of those that adversity, those obstacles. But why is it that that you may come out of it like that? But there might be another person that that really, again, carries that around for a lifetime. What do, is there any, I don't know, it's probably a complex question, but is there anything that you would point to of what's the difference? Well, it, I, I'm, I like to say we all have superpowers, but I'm just a human being, right? And so if I've done it, anybody else can do it too. And it took a lot of time. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of raising my hand and saying, yes, I am not one to quick say I need help. I can't do it because then I was ridiculed and, and everything in my family of origin, of course you can't, who were you to even try, like all those types of things. So I think most of us protector, you find this a lot with people in the military and first responder community. It's hard to say, I need help. So then change the language, right? Just, we just change language. I want some support or I'm having a hard time being myself, or I want to be a better version of me, right? We can change language so that it's empowering versus, and, and then we use the language. I needed to get help because I realized I couldn't overcome this by myself. Um, when you are in PTS, you have flashbacks, you're shaking, you have nightmares, you're on hypervigilant alert. Not everybody, but those were my one, my, some of my symptoms. I couldn't eat. I was drastically dropping weight. I couldn't go out in public. I couldn't, I couldn't even, I didn't want to open the curtains in my house. So those, that's really hard. It's hard to go from there to get in your car to drive across town, you know, 45 minutes away, to go walk into a secure building with a gate and you have to have a code and you have to go in and you have to process and do your intake form. And, and so it's, it's work. So the key to me is, but know that you're strong. You're stronger than you give yourself credit. You're smarter than you give yourself credit. And there are tons of resources out there that want to help. So the first key to this is how many layers of trauma have you been through? So that's why in the Purple Threads curriculum, I kind of make it, I, I got sidetracked earlier, which happens with my brain, but we make a competitive thing. We break the room up into different groups and we have a competition of who can list 
the most amount of traumas from a small little T to a capital big T, right? Because we get in this mindset, I'm not, I don't have trauma. I only had this, right? And so we list all these different things and then people can start seeing how they've had these experiences in their life and it's influenced their life. So look, recognize that there's layers of trauma. So think about that purple sweat sweater. If you only have one trauma, right? There's some people who've had a beautiful, wonderful childhood and they married their, their sweetheart and they're, they're living this wonderful dream and they really haven't had a lot of trauma. And so they may only have one or two purple threads. Well, that's going to be easier to pull out. But the more traumas you can list, you lived in poverty, your parents were divorced, you had a sibling that died, you had a pet that died, you live in a fire zone, right? And you've been ha- evacuated from your house, you've been to combat. There's all, so many different forms of trauma. Those are all layers. Those are all different purple threads woven in your sweater. So the more you have, probably the longer and, and the more modalities you're going to need. And that would be my second recommendation. So give yourself grace and space. You say, grace, I love it. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some space. Tell yourself, I'm not crazy. I've been through a lot of adverse situations. I've been through a lot of life challenges. These are all layered and knitted and knotted. Think about a big knot that you've got to untie. It's going to take time and effort. So be patient with yourself. And then go try different modalities. There wasn't just one modality that that absolutely that was it. There's no quick fix. But with talk therapy, with equine therapy, with EMDR, with 220, it was one one string, one knot removed. And then I choose what I weave back in, right? I choose who I become and I protect myself so that other people can't put more damage in. Because it's very easy once you've had a lie woven into you for you to re-believe that lie, especially in times of stress in times of life transitions. So that would be my thing is be kind to yourself, know that there's layers and have the mindset that I'm going to figure this out. And there's people out there who want to help me. I'm worthy though. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I'm worthy of help. I'm worthy of kindness. I'm worthy of other people taking time, energy, money to be good to me. Yeah. That resonates with me, at least in my childhood. That resonates with me as well. What, you know, going back so much of that, I, I enjoy it, but, but going back to, you know, you work with not exclusively, but you work with soldiers and first responders and, you know, maybe some strong type A personalities and, and what is the country we live in? We live in the United States. So we're, we're kind of hardwired to be rugged individualists, right? We get through this and and especially depending on our personality or what we do for a living, we may say, you know, I got this. I can figure this out on my own. I, you know, I, I think the message I take from everything you're saying here, and I, and I hope the listeners are hearing this too, is don't be afraid to ask for help. You really, most of us are, are going to need that help. And I see so many people that struggle with that idea. And again, whatever you want to call it, if you don't want to call it help, call it something else, but leverage other people that are out there that would quite honestly be happy to help you. Yeah. And have some fun with it. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom, right? It doesn't have to be so doom and gloom. Have some fascination and some curiosity of, I wonder why I think this way. I wouldn't talk with that way to my best friend. Right. So where does it come from? Huh? How often do I say it? Cause once the, and then this is why I do a physical exercise. They have to think of what it is. They have to write it on a purple card. They have to crumple it up. They have to physically throw it away from their body and I make it fun. So you throw it into a bucket and we see who can score the most points, what side of the room compared to the other side. And then you sit in anticipation while you watch me unfold them and read it out loud. 
And so now you Mm. hear it and there's a scribe who's writing it on the board. So now you see it. So neurologically we're rewired, like we're, we're hearing it, we're seeing it, we're thinking it, we're feeling it. And there's a body response. So when you're feeling stressed or you're feeling a purple thread, your body will give you a warning trigger that you're feeling stressed, that you're feeling, you know, for lack of better words, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, that you're going to be attacked. You either got to go towards the, the problem or run away from the problem. And we can learn those. We can recognize them. So as leaders, we can help other people when we recognize their, their slight shift in behavior. And without judgment, we can help them. So you're talking about my audiences. So I have three different really distinct audiences. One is more of CEO and leadership type of positions. Another is emerging and advancing leaders. And then another is people in transition. So it doesn't matter if you're corporate or military we all at some point fall into those different buckets. And so I feel that my expertise is leading yourself. And then I feel like I have really good help for leading others. And then leading the organization, there are brilliant people out there who do that. And that's not really my wheelhouse, but the first two are. And it all does start with yourself. And as leaders, I think it's really critical that we know ourselves. We know what our triggers are. And we don't pass that on to anybody else. And then we help everyone around us. That's always been my mission to help everyone around us that we can not be like know themselves so much that it doesn't trigger problems and we can be better and we can encourage each other to go after a bigger goal than we would have on our own. I feel like we're brother and sister. I, I teach <laughs> I, I teach leading oneself at the university. And so I'm really big on that idea too. And I don't think it gets enough emphasis with leaders. A lot of them, a little, I know this sounds judgmental, but a lot of them I think struggle with leading themselves and then don't understand why they can't lead others well. So I think it, that's the foundation of leading others well is to knowing how to lead yourself well. Going back to what you said, you know, have fun with it. Be curious and and let go of the judgment. You know, I think a, a lot of people get wrapped up, and this is what I used to do. I used to get wrapped up in the idea of using value judgments, right? That's good. That's bad. What's wrong with me? You know, this inner chatter, again, very negative, usually in, in my case, but it was, it was always just kind of... Uh, a lot of value judgments. And when we can separate from that, then we, when we let go of that judgment, it's much easier to be curious and say, huh, why am I, why am I behaving that way? There must be something there. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me maybe a little different and I need to understand why that is. So I think that's a good message for all of us is, and it's, I don't think it's easy. It may become habit after a while. I think it's gotten easier for me, but at the beginning it was very difficult for me to switch into that mode but boy, that that just relieves a lot of the, I don't know, the the stress from it, the the heavy burden of of thinking something's wrong with you. Yeah, and when you know in people and you really believe in people, you look past the negative behavior, right? So you can let it someone be that way and maybe blow off some steam, and then you back and say, what else do I need to know? Like you you took all the angst out of it. And then you proved you're a person of trust. And that's why, to me, I talk about in my leadership classes, trust is built on truth, respect, unity, safety, transparency, T-R-U-S-T. And how do you build that? You build it by allowing people, still liking people, still knowing people, still believing in people, even when they're not their highest self, right? And when they're not performing well. And that's when people prove their true metal. 
and who they are and will this person stand by me? And you have the healthy boundary line of, okay, you know, you can't take it out on me, but you can share it, but you can't start telling me I'm a jerk and I'm the problem and all of that. But, but okay, let's, let's tell me more about that. And without engaging, without locking horns, without giving judgment, like, why would you think that way? You say things like, well, tell me more. What else do I need to know? Yeah, my model, and I hear this in what you're saying, is it starts with empathy. And I, maybe I said this earlier, but it starts with empathy. Hopefully that moves to compassion and then empowerment. And so listening to somebody and, and saying, okay, let me see. Let me see if I can be curious about why are you, you know, I, I might, my, my first reaction might be you're behaving poorly, you know, and I, and I look at you and go, wow, why would you do that? And then I think it, it takes a little bit of, of good self-awareness to step back and say, well, maybe there's something I'm missing here of why they're behaving the way they are. And let's, let's, let's dig into that. Let's ask some questions. This is great. This is great. You mentioned, you use terminology in, in some of your stuff of healthy habits, you know, I'm really big on the idea of just habits in general. And, and I, I don't like to say good habits and bad habits because what is a good habit? I mean, that's, again, we're, we're talking about something subjective, whether it's good or bad. So I like to use healthy and harmful habits. And so you mentioned healthy habits. What, what are those healthy habits that you speak of? Oh, I love it. And it's true versus good and bad. And the world, I don't think is so black and white. So I like thinking of it from multiple perspectives. And is this healthy for me? Does this benefit me? Or is this harmful? Is it hurtful to me? So having that as the scale and you can take a healthy habit such as triathlons, right? Training, exercising. And I've seen people make it unhealthy where they became addicted to it and they turn their back on everything from time with their family, spending more money on new bikes than they really could afford, um, things like that. So it's important, like it's not a bad habit, but it became unhealthy. It became unbalanced. And so there's one of the classes I teach, I co-teach it with a retired rear admiral and we teach primarily to the Navy and it's healthy leadership. And one of the keys that we talk, we talk about manipulators. We get, we, we really talk about how do we become the best leaders we possibly can. And it starts with Maslow's hierarchy. So the healthy habits, the first row of Maslow's hierarchy are sleep, nutrition, shelter, right? And ultimately it's about belonging and self-actualization. So for my healthy habits, there's foundational eight that we really need to focus on. And we can always do a deep dive on those, but primarily it starts with those, what are the basics, right? So I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm so like, I can't think straight. And then I think, oh yeah, I've only been getting like four hours, five hours of sleep a night for a week. Duh. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not stupid. I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. I'm not disorganized. I'm tired, right? So think about who has a new baby at home. You're going to be tired. You're going to be tired. <laughs> You're not going to get a lot of sleep, right? Drinking water. So when we know the science behind some of this, we wake up and our brains are dehydrated, right? And so when our brains are dehydrated, it feels like depression, so you get up, the first thing you're thinking of is you're slamming the snooze button and you're saying, I'm so tired. I don't want to get up. I wish I didn't have to go to work. I wish I didn't have to go to school. Why couldn't I just have an easier life? And then we march off and we hopefully brush our teeth first, but then we grab a cup of coffee, which what? Dehydrates our brain even more. And so then we feel even worse and we're driving and we're gripping the steering wheel and we're riding on somebody else's bumper right? And they're flipping us off. Like the world just spins out of control. So when we don't have the foundational thing. So my tip, one of the things it's simple, make sure you get your sleep. 
Make sure you start your day off with a big glass of water, drink lots of water, good water, right? If you have caffeine, you have to have an extra cup of water in addition to the cup of coffee water that to replace it. Think about the fundamental habits that you're doing. Think about what is the first thing you think of when you start the day? Are you setting yourself up for a good mindset? Like that's a habit to wake up and go, oh, I just want to hit snooze versus the habit of, I want to have a great day. I'm looking forward to my day today, right? A lot of people get, they, they wake up and they start scrolling through their phones at their e- emails and they're not even out of bed yet. So what are the little things you're doing day after day after day that are not helping you get to your goal? And I'm a big believer of when we feel depressed and I think everyone goes through stages of blues, depression, again, change the language so that you will talk about it, but not yourself or hard to get out of bed, discour- discouraged, depressed. Everyone goes through that. That's totally normal in life. It would be abnormal not to feel that way at some point in your life. And then think about how can I move? So is it unloading a dishwasher in the morning? Is it opening up the curtains and stretching and doing a little bit of yoga while you do it? But when you feel down, get up and move around. And it's amazing how the happy hormones start flowing through your body as you're doing movement. And so I'm a big believer in running. That really helps me. And I love running in the morning and I love running in nature. That gets my day set really well. So think about what are the habits that you're doing that help you, you know, does this help me feel better? And just do a little scan on your brain. Like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then scan your body. How am I feeling? And I think nature time, time to move, and then time to connect with other people are some of the top healthy habits you can have. So much good stuff there. You know, I have a a morning routine and I like to say that's how I prime myself for a good day. It's almost like, uh, I like to use the metaphor of, uh, it's like I'm feeling up my rocket on on the launch pad so that if I do the right things in the morning and, and I would call those healthy habits, that's going to set me up for a good day. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to have a good day, but it really does stack the the deck in favor of of having more good days than not. And so let me ask you this, Abigail, how many times do you think people go through and they don't even pay attention to that, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not myself, I'm, I'm not motivated, but, but they don't really kind of dig into why is that? Again, we go back to the question and the curiosity, right? Of saying, why do I feel a little off today? I think a lot of people just grind through it, right? They just grind right. through it every day and, and never really understand what's going on. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think a lot of people grind. And why I think that is I know I do. I, I've had a lot of times in my life where I just grind and I work later, I work harder. And that's how I was taught, right? And no matter how hard I worked and what I achieved, it was never going to be good enough. And so I find that I have a saying like whip the racehorse. Well, the problem is I'm the jockey and I'm the racehorse. And that racehorse man is going to run around that track as hard as that beautiful racehorse can. Because I want to do good. I want to be a productive person in society. I want to give my best. And that's why that third step of self-commitment, I have to also give the racehorse a break, right? And, and say, it's stop, it's time. And so I love that you have a routine in the morning. And I also encourage people as part of that foundational aid is have a routine at the end of your day, have a hard stop. I don't work past X time, X hour. So if you're self-employed, you're an entrepreneur, you're probably working around the clock and weekends So have certain hard stops, have certain things that you do where you close out your day, you close out what it's going to look like, and you leave behind schoolwork, you leave behind your office work, 
right? You have your list for the next day, your desk is clean, whatever that routine is. And then you literally have a door. If you're commuting to upstairs, you're working from out of your home, you have a bridge that you drive under. And that's the point where you can start building a stronger mindset by using mindset skills. And you say at that door, at that bridge, I leave everything from work behind. Everything from work is is, is left back there. I can pick it up when I come past that door tomorrow morning or the bridge, because we can get stuck in rumination where the brain just continues to go over and over and over a problem, especially, and then we're not present. So we get home and we're not present with the people that we love the most, that we should treat the most love, respect, and kindness to, because our brains are back over there trying to process the problems. And we need a break. We need to not whip the racehorse all the time. We need to have fun. We need to have creative time. We need to have our own personal time, space away from other people. So make sure you carve out the habits and routines that are really healthy for you. And a lot of times too, it feels selfish. So if you're responsible for other people, as a mom, I had full custody of both of my kids and I would feel selfish if I wanted to do something for me. And that doesn't that doesn't role model well, Right. So you have to role model all the time. People are always watching you. People are always watching you. If it's a classmate, it's a colleague, it's a neighbor, a kid, a spouse, people are always watching. And so that's what helped me realize that I need to put myself higher up on the the self-commitment, self-care list because my kids are watching and I want them to be better than I am. I want them to be healthier than I am. Well, that's great. Role model, you know, modeling it for your kids and and really anybody. And I I just, I think to myself that, especially with entrepreneurs, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And I say, well, I like this work, right? I'm I'm passionate about this. I want to build my company and this. And so I think it's easy. And I see entrepreneurs do this because I coach entrepreneurs. It's easy to say, well, I like this work and I'm, I'm willing to work 18 hours a day. Well, here's the thing. I like to say is you're not a machine. You've got to, the machine's going to break down if you keep, you know, or maybe your metaphor, you keep whipping the racehorse. The racehorse is going to quit on you. And what do we, what do we see? What do we call that? A lot of times right now, especially during the pandemic, we're calling this burnout. And so I always say head off burnout. You're more, you're better off looking and being preventative with burnout than if you get burned out. If you get burned out, it's a big hole to crawl out of. And so I, I guess let me just echo what you're saying, Abigail, is everybody listening, just just make sure that you are scheduling that in uh, where you're going to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm taking time off. I'm taking time to myself. That's not selfish. It's actually very smart. So that, you know, Abigail can bring her best self to the world, right? If she wears herself out, then then that's a diminished version, and and that's not great either. So you can frame this any way you want. It, it's a lot of fun to to kind of look at that. What is the story I'm telling myself, Abigail? I could, you know, I I know my my guests always get tired of hearing me say this, but it's really true that I could do this conversation for about three four hours. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> I can tell that we have a lot of things in common, and we think alike in a lot of ways, and that's always fun. But to be respectful of your time, let's uh, let's start to wrap up. What's going on in your world? How can people reach you, get in touch with you, and maybe work with you? Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. I feel the same way. I love these conversations, and I hope that they help and always love hearing back from you and your followers. And so I, that's the number one thing. If this helps, share it with other people. 
you know, tell other people about the podcast, share it with them, leave Ron a rating so that more people can find information that empowers them. Um, people can find me. My website is primarily focused on my keynote speaking work, but it's abigailgmanning.com. So A-B-I-G-A-I-L-G and then Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G.com. There is a contact me page there. You could send me information of how this might help you. You can sign up for our free newsletter where we send out tips of the month and think say do. That's that cognitive communication and behavioral. We share think say do tips in there. Um, and upcoming events and where we're working. It's kind of the exciting. We're putting a lot of proposals out there for this new year, working with some different companies from across the country. We do work with military, but I love working with CEOs. I'm also a Vistage speaker. So I'm doing some extra work on that starting right away. And I love to hear from people so they can find me on social media. I'm not big on a lot of the platforms. So help me up my numbers if you want. <laughs> LinkedIn is primarily where I do my business, but I would love to hear from you. That's great. And as always, those will, that, those links will be in the show notes. And, and I'm laughing because I'm, I, I just want to, I don't want to do social media. I don't like social media. <laughs> Can we have a world where we just make it go away? I, I, I know I'm, I'm sounding old when I say that, but anyway, that, that's my thoughts on, on that. Anyway, all right. So let's go to the last question. The last question is, as everybody knows, what's your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? So I think you phrase it exactly that way. What is your greatest failure, right? To me, I always wanted a family that was loving, respectful, and kind. And as I mentioned, I was a solo parent and that was a huge failure. It still gets me like, ugh. And that's okay, people, when you feel that, like you've done the work and you still feel it, congratulations, you're human. You have like emotions. Like I don't want to be a person who doesn't feel great love and feel pain and, and connection and empathy with other people. I want that. I just want to be able to control it, right? And have power and control versus it just randomly sabotaging my life. So the failure was that I didn't give that to my kids. What I wanted so much for myself and what I worked so hard for, I didn't give it to them. And I really struggled with that. I had a lot of internal shame and blame to myself about that and hurt. Like I wanted, I wanted that for my children, especially more than even for me, I wanted it for my kids. And I was teaching a class and someone started saying about broken families and broken. And I said, well, what is a broken family? And they said, well, broken families where there's not two parents at home. So they're broken. And I needed to hear that because I said, okay, we talk about changing language a lot. Let's think about it. On the outside of where I grew up, it looked like a beautiful family. It's very successful family, right? Like everything looks great on the outside. That was a broken family. If you looked at my family raised by one parent and you look on the inside the house, there's love, there's respect, there's kindness. There's a hug when you come in the door. There's family rituals and inside jokes. We have each other's back. There is absolutely nothing broken about my family. And it helped though to hear somebody else say it because for years I felt like I I was a broken failure family and I was a failure. And instead it made me realize, redefine what is family, right? Redefine what your goal is. Like if you have a vision, visualize it in a way that where you can see your successes. So my successes are both my kids are amazing, outstanding adults. They're incredible people and we love each other. We just spent two weeks together and 
that's not a broken family. And it helped me flip what I thought was a failure into one of my biggest successes. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media. 